everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. It's a hot, sunny day here in D.C. It's my kind of weather. It's her kind of weather. My kind of sweaty weather. <laughs> and uh, But we have a red-hot show today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets joins us. We'll be talking about cold soups, yes? Mm, and yeah. not gazpacho. Not Yummy. gazpacho, other, other kinds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg King is the brand ambassador for the Glen uh, Dronach. Am I saying it right? I am. It's Glen like Dronach. China. Uh, one of Scotland's first licensed distilleries and producers. It's a superb uh, Highland single malt scotch whiskey from the East Highlands. And um, we're going to taste it virtually. <laughs> Were we in the East Highlands? We were in the Highlands. Um, I just have no idea what part of the I don't know. I was worried about driving off the road on the wrong side, so who the hell knows? Okay. Uh, Jessica Formicola, another Italiana, is -hmm. the author of a new cookbook about my guilty pleasure Mm -hmm. above all. It's called Beef It Up, 50 Mouthwatering Recipes for Ground Beef, Steaks, Stews, Roasts, Ribs, and More. And all the way from Italia, Gianluca Bizol. He's president of Bizol 1542 Prosecco Superiore. Uh, it's a. This family's been in 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 the area near Venice for 21 generations, mm. and they are called um, uh, in Italy the founding family of Prosecco Superiore. We're going to hear all about it from John Lucas shortly, mm-hmm. and I also can't wait to hear what this guy has to say. Chef Dave Martin, who is a top chef alum and author of the Tequila Diet, is with us, and um, I, and. When this show airs, it's Tequila Day. It's, it's te- National te- Tequila Day. Glory, hallelujah. Oh, my God. Tequila it all goes, Day. So, uh, all I, goes beautifully. That's going to be fun. Yeah. I wouldn't mind a tequila diet. Okay. Uh, all right. So, Deb, let's start with you in Central Farm Markets. Cold soups. I'm, I'm considering. Well, it's hot. I'd like to pour them all over my body at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. Maybe I you. will. We have, um, we have a variety of soups at the market. You know, we want to keep you cold. And before I go into that, I just want to remind patrons to come early. We have, uh, we're opening a little bit early and trying to get out of the heat a little bit early. So do your shopping early. Mm-hmm. But that being said, we have um, a vendor that has the most delicious cold soup, Sexy Veggie. And instead of just Wait, 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 wait. Brought- sexy Veggie? Sexy Veggie. Like sexy it's, chocolate. It, you know, it's a name I right. like, David. I know, Sounds it's a good, good smart. I like that name. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, everybody knows gazpacho, gazpacho. Mm-hmm. But this um, this gal is making some delicious cold soups. They come in a little container. They're frozen. Take them home, thaw them out, put them in a dish, and boy, you have a really chilling experience. But she's got some flavors that are very unusual, like cilantro, cucumber, and mint. She has a peach a soup that mm. is just to Sounds die good. for. Mm-hmm. Uh, melon gazpachos, so they're different than the tomato gazpachos. So um, lots of good, cool things for you to take home, make a salad, and add a soup to it. And we've been doing that the last three nights. It's, well, I was going to say also, cool. if your peaches get soft or if your melon's a little over 
ripe because sometimes you know you don't get to everything. My, like, my melon is a little overripe. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, I, but you know what I mean. It's you can make soups out of them. Like there's so many other things to do. You don't have to just throw them in compost. So that that is so true. You know, that like is so true. Or throw them in salad, stuff like that, or throw them over. A steak, like we'll be talking about steak later. Throw some of those veggies, make a salsa out of it, right? Sounds really good. Yeah, the melons are exceptional. All the fruits this year have been really exceptional. Mm. Uh, The weather was just perfect for the growing season. So we've had a lot of fun and... um, we just we just love what's going on with the you know the summer fruits and don't forget the corns too. I mean, we're are you putting kidding? Corn together, and all sorts of good good things. Corn is on my table every night, hands down. It's my every favorite night. part of summer, next to tomatoes. Every okay, night. Deb, tell everybody please where we can find you at Central Farm Markets. At centralfarmmarkets.com, you will find all of our information there and all of our locations and our hours and special notices with regard to the heat, too. Excellent. Thanks, Deb. We'll see you next week. All right. Thank you. Have a great show. Okay. All right. So we are delighted to have Greg Greg King with us. He's the brand ambassador for Glendronach, which is one of Scotland's number one leading licensed distilleries. One of the first licensed distilleries, which is interesting. I want to find out about Oh, that all well, works. I mean, you can, but I had the pleasure of tasting it. I was at a dinner. Um, you weren't invited. Uh, I was at a dinner uh, that featured all the different years, a bunch of different years, not all of them, obviously, of the spirit and uh, received a great education about it, which is why I really wanted to bring you guys on the show, because I just think there's there's so there's so much on the market. It's overwhelming. So I think it's important for each of these distilleries to be able to share their story, to know why, when you're going to a bar, you're ordering what you're ordering. Right, Greg? Am I speaking your language language here? Well, uh, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the ambassador's job is to, one, make it less intimidating for the consumer to, to pick a bottle. But when you walk into a liquor store, you're reading a, a whiskey list uh, in, in a restaurant, you know, hopefully, you know, if we're doing our job right, we got a chance to get in front of you earlier on. And, you know, we, we've been able to educate. So it's a more kind of comfortable, you know, choice when, when you're looking at a wall full of 120 whiskeys, right. you know, oh, I've had Glendronner, I'm familiar with it. You know, there's 133 working distilleries, 133 plus working distilleries in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And even for the, you know, the aficionado in single malt scotch, they might know five to 10 of those distilleries. So, you know, Glendronic has been around a very long time since 1826. So for almost 200 years, but always kind of been under the radar. So was that the first time you got a chance to try Glendronic? I think it was actually. I mean, somebody, I mean, listen, we've been doing this a really long time. So somebody may have brought it in studio, but I wasn't. I wasn't told the story. So I'd love to hear sort of about how it went from this under the radar kind of spirit, you know, in a in a large market and how it's sort of breaking out now. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a, it's like I mentioned, it's, a, it's an old distillery. It's 200 years old. Um, 1826, it was founded. You had mentioned it's one of the first licensed distilleries. Uh, there was an excise tax passed in 1823. Uh, so prior to that, there were distilleries operating legally. But for the most part, you know, prior to 1823 in this region, a lot of distilleries, they would have been illicit distillers. They would have been moonshiners. So mm-hmm. this excise, pass, uh, excise tax passed in 1823 and, and the first licensed distillery started to open up in the 1820s, 1824. Uh, and we came shortly after in 1826. And if you've been to that region, you know, we're in the northeast part of Scotland. It's a Highland distillery. And it's about 45 minutes northwest of Aberdeen. It's, it's, a, it's a little we're town in Aberdeen. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we were in the East Highlands. We were there. We were there. We did a, we did a very 
Somebody put us on a driving tour of Scotland. We saw all of it in four days. It was it was a lot. Um, but so what does that being in the Highlands, what does that add to the Scotch? Sure. So there are different whiskey making regions throughout Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are the Highlands in the north and the Lowlands in the south. And there's the island chain with the most famous being Isla. And then there's what's known as Speyside and um really depending on where the whiskey was made traditionally would affect the overall flavor profile. Those lines have become more blurred uh, over time because technology has changed, people's palates have changed. So essentially a distillery can make any style it chooses to. Mm. But a traditional Highland style would be rich, robust, and in our case, it's sherry cast matured, mm. which means sherry would have been the original style of cast or old world wine cast would have been the original style of maturation. And we've kept that style going for, for 200 years. And, and that's what Glendronic is known for. So when you're getting those sherry casts, are they, they coming from Portugal? Spain. 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 So we will Spain. get port casts from Portugal. And mm-hmm. we do have our new Portwood, Glendronic Portwood, which we just released uh, about two years ago. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so we will source all of our, our, our Spanish oak casts directly from Spain. We season them to our specifications. We work with specific bodegas uh, to, to really kind of develop the cast to our specifications. Once they arrive to Scotland, we mature our whiskey in it. And depending on the style of oak, you know, you can have European oak or American oak. And depending mm-hmm. on contents that were in that cast previously will affect the overall flavor profile of your final product being single malt scotch or and whiskey scotch whiskey. What about like char? Do you guys like that's really big in some of the distilleries here in the States and they're all like showing, you know, like look at the char and like I'm yeah. always like, okay, I don't know what that means. So what about that? <laughs> <laughs> so when, we, when we're talking American distilleries, we're talking bourbon distilleries, they'll always talk about their um, toast and char level. Right. And essentially what they're doing is they're 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 burning the inside of the cask inside of that barrel at different strengths to bring out different flavor profiles. Mm. So depending on how long it's under fire, it'll bring out certain sugars. So your American whiskey distilleries will talk about the toast and char level. And it's part of kind of the, you know, the, the final product in the sense of it's part of the, the, the production process and almost like an ingredient as far as the final product with European oak cast with ex Spanish oak cast, we are going to toast the uh, the barrels themselves, not a char. It's a lot more porous of a wood, so it doesn't need to be charred as much. So it's a light toasting. So once we get those casks and we have Oloroso sherry previously held in them or Pedro Jimenez sherry previously held in them, if you're familiar with sherry, Oloroso is, is fruity and nutty and dry. And Pedro Jimenez is very, very sweet and raisins and chocolate. And there's going to be some spice in that wood as well. So when you try Glendronic, you're going to get all those flavor profiles that it'll pull from the wood. Mm. All right. Well, Greg, I've got a question. First of all, I want to thank you for mentioning 1826, which was my birth year. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not a big whiskey drinker. My sense of people who are big whiskey drinkers is that they stand at a bar and, you know, savor whiskeys and all that. But what about whiskey with food? I mean, do you? Do That's you... what I did. I went to a dinner with whiskey. With All right. Food. Well, so so how? I mean, Glendronic, depending on whether it's the you know the original, the revival, or the um, I can't say the Allardyce. Is that how you pronounce Allardyce? it? Allardyce. All right, Allardyce, which but is 18, should, aged eighteen years. Yeah, you should clarify. So right. the original is aged twelve years. The revival is aged fifteen years. And the Allardyce is eighteen years. Eighteen years. How do you how do you how do you pair? I mean, with what do you pair? I guess is better a better question. 
Great question. That's a great question. Because, yeah, a lot of people think of, you know, wine pairings and beer pairings with food. And whiskey really falls into that category as well. So we do a, a, a program with uh, Glendronic and cheese specifically. Yum. So an amazing pairing. One of my favorites ever is the Glendronic 18-year Allardyce, which is a big, robust, dark fruits, dark chocolate, Christmas cake style whiskey with blue cheese, which is big and intense. I mean, these flavors melt together perfectly, and it's one mm-hmm. of the best pairings that that we have. For the Glendronic 12, for example, we, we do really well with cheddar style or Parmesan style. So a Dubliner cheese works really well with our 12. And I, and I think the next guest after myself is, is the steak expert. And we've done a lot of Glendronic pairings with steak. Mm-hmm. So essentially what, what the steaks will do is Glendronic, again, being – the style that it is, some of our whiskeys have a lot of tannins to them, like a wine. Mm-hmm. So we know wine and steak go really well together. Well, there's a lot of wine influence within Glendronic. So the fat from the steak will cut the alcohol and uh, the tannins from from the Glendronic uh, single malt will, will work and, and harmonize with the steak itself. So those go really well together as well. well. Chemistry. Uh, well, I think you bring up a good point. I think it's the fat, you know, breaking up the fat, right? Which is why it works so well with cheese or steak because you want to break that sort of layer on the tongue, right? Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about your three offerings and maybe where people can get them. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. It's a little boozy in studio. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking to Greg King, who is the brand ambassador for Glendronic. Uh, Fabulous Scotch, uh, Scottish uh, single malt whiskey. Um, I mean, you, you, well... I do want to say, we do want to talk about your three offerings, but... Well, you have more than three offerings. They have 12, 15, 18, and 21, right? We, that's our core lineup, yeah. And then we have a lot of single casts, which, Nikki, I believe you tried at the dinner, mm-hmm. uh, which Glendronic is, is incredibly well-known for, our, our single cast editions or cast editions. Can you um, explain, for those who don't know what that means, can you explain what that means? Because sometimes we, we, you know, we go deep in our industry speak, and people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. So sure. do you mind sharing? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, most people would, would think of, okay, we're going to have a bottle of whiskey. So that came from one barrel, one mm-hmm. cask. And cask is really the generic term for all the different sizes of barrels, hogsheads, butts, you know, so on and so forth. So if you only emptied out one barrel, you'd only get about 200 bottles. So it, within a Scotch distillery, they're batting together, let's say 15, 20 different cast sizes together to make really a, a batch for our example, our 12 year. If it was only one specific cast that they emptied out in, in the dinner that you attended, mm-hmm. um, there were only 600 bottles for the world. So you got a chance to essentially walk into that distillery and sample right from the cast and try something that most people will never get a chance to try. It's at cast strength as well. Mm-hmm. It's not watered down to bottling strength. So bottling strength is 40 is the minimum, but typically it's 43 to 46 for us. Um, so you got a chance to really get a snapshot of what the distillery has to offer. Now, we mentioned our Glendronic 12. That's, you know, our... Uh, our core lineup, and that's a combination of Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez cast being married together. Mm-hmm. Uh, our 15, again, Pedro Jimenez and Oloroso cast married together. And then our 18 is 100% X Oloroso sherry cast. Ooh. And then the ratios will change for each edition. And for the 12, you get raisins and brown sugar and some ginger. The 15, you're going to get chocolate and you're going to get honey and chocolate covered cherries. Mm. And the 18, which is my favorite, it's big, robust, dark fruits. That's that cliched, stereotypical. It's snow. 
sewing, there's a fireplace, and you have your leather armchair. That's the What a great so, life you've got, sitting around <laughs> drinking whiskey all day. You're like a cowboy. I, <laughs> Listen, Greg, we really, yeah, it's a really good gig. Hey, so tell us where we can find details on the product, where we can find you online, where we can find you on Instagram, so everybody can check you all out. Amazing. Yeah. So I mean, glendronic.com, you can find everything there. Uh, we work nationally with uh, some e-premise accounts such as Reserve Bar and Drizzly here in New York. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have our Instagram handles as well at glendronic. And I'm Drams with Greg if you ever want to, you know, reach out to me and ask any specific questions. Hopefully All right. I can answer. All right. We're going to have you back at some point to tell us why the roads in the highlands get narrower and how many American tourists are killed driving on the left. Yes. Which could have happened to it us. It could have happened to us. <laughs> Thanks really for joining good. us, Craig. Okay, Thank you so much. It was a Thanks, pleasure. Greg. Thank you. All right. All right. Jessica, now we're steak. Show me the beef. Uh, <laughs> Jessica Formicola is author of the new cookbook, Beef It Up, 50 Mouthwatering Recipes for Ground Beef, Steaks, Stews, Roast, Ribs, and More. And it's my favorite subject. So welcome to the show. We are meat eaters. How did you too. get into this? Good. Give we us like, a little background like on you, Jessica. How did you become oh. a, a beef eater? Yes. <laughs> Well, I've always been a beef eater, thankfully, Um, Mm -hmm. but I actually am not a a professionally trained chef. I was a psychotherapist for many, many years. I'll call you after the show. Right? (laughs) I'll call you after the show. I'm actually only in Baltimore. I should have come to you guys. I didn't know it was going to be a boozy show. I I know. Look at all the fun you missed. Okay. So anyway. So, yeah. So I um, started cooking on the side, just kind of my own cathartic release after seeing patients. And I started teaching myself how to cook. Mm-hmm. And I started working with Certified Angus Beef Brand, who made me one of their main beef amb- ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And I've learned all about beef and spent time with cattle ranchers and with chefs and with feed ranches, learning how to prepare all the best beef. So it ended up being a no-brainer writing a book about beef. But what makes it different is that it's way beyond just steaks and burgers, which I think is what most people go to when they think about beef. But it also demystifies some of the cuts. You know, chicken, you've got thighs and legs and and breasts. Beef, there's over 150 cuts, and it can be very overwhelming and, and quite frankly, intimidating when you're purchasing it. So we break it down and give people the best ways to use each of those cuts. And all of our recipes are actually made in the kitchen with no special equipment, which is also unique. Most beef books are are They're pretty heavy. Yeah. 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 Smoking. Yeah. This one's a little bit lighter, and right now with this heat wave, I don't want to be over a grill or a smoker. Right. So um, I'm perfectly fine inside making a really delicious cast iron pan-fried steak or burger. Well, so, but let's talk a little bit, because you bring up a really good point when it comes to eating beef, right? So, you know, about 15 years ago, whole animal butchery was really big in the restaurants. But one of the problems a lot of restaurants had was, you know, they would try to put parts on the menu. And people were like, I don't know, you know, like, what was that? Uh, Terra Madras is one of the, um, was one that was big for a while. When people aren't familiar with a cut of beef, I don't know why it makes them nervous, but it does. So how do you go about breaking it down for people? Because, the fear of the unknown when it comes to food is is as a somebody in therapy like how do you help them with that because i don't know why it causes people such fear it's just food but it does 
I feel like a lot of it is just education, mm. talking about why something works. Like even when we're talking about why pairing scotch with beef because it cuts the fat on your tongue or, or Prosecco and how bubbles break up those same fats when we're doing charcuterie platters and things like that. Talking about these things so that people understand them mm-hmm. helps it a little bit. I think there's always going to be barriers, especially in our culture. I've done a lot of travel as well, and you don't find these same barriers in other places. In our culture, there are barriers to what we consider odd foods. And, you know, it's just part of the culture. We don't find it as much as we start traveling. But again, it all comes back to education. Knowledge is power. Right. Well, listen, if 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 you go to a farmer's market, you're, you have the chance to see lots of right. different cuts of meat. But if you're just going to a grocery store and it's in plastic, I mean, I'm not judging people, but I am saying that if you, that's what you, all you see, then you're only seeing four or five cuts. So that's really all you're going to know. I would tell you, though, that even at your regular grocery store, butchers love talking about meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like one of my best friends is a local a local butcher, and he works at the local grocery store. It's a, it's a small grocery store. but In they, Baltimore? They love talking about it. Yeah, Grawls. I don't know if yeah. you know who that is, but sure. yeah. So, yeah, so we... Um, they love talking about it and they generally have cuts that you need in the back. We have this great grid in the beginning of the book and I'm all about education and teaching and this reframing. So the first chapter of the whole book mm-hmm. is about beef, how to buy beef, the different cuts of beef, where they come from and swaps so that if they don't have you know, the, the cut you need, instead of making a decision based on the size and the shape you think you need, which isn't always the best way to make a swap, you can make it based on the cooking method and the preparation. Because again, it's not straightforward. Different piece of, pieces of beef need high heat and a quick sear, while other ones need a really acidic or salty marinade to bring out their best flavors. Mm-hmm. Some need low and slow, some need high and dry. It just, it really depends on the cut. So you want to make sure you're swapping with something that's equally cooked instead of just the same size and shape. Well, let's talk some about some of the things in the book. Like for example, burgers. When we do, I mean, I hate to go to- The most basic. The most basic, right. but burgers can be terrible if they don't have the right amount of fat in them. Do you know what I mean? And gotta have fat. You gotta have fat. And people, again, in the United States, everybody's so afraid of fat. Like, it's ridiculous. I don't understand it. Um, I like all the fat. Give me all the fat. Um, but so how? What's your, what's your percentage of fat that you like in the burgers? I generally go for about a 20%. I make the burgers. I, I make them by hand. I usually don't use a press. I like to make a little well in the center. I find with like a lot of my readers that one of the things that they do is they make the burgers into like these hockey pucks and then they start to the the fibers start to bunch up in the center and then they do the one thing you should never do and they press it down with a spatula mm-hmm. and lose all the flavor and all the delicious juices inside. But my ideal burger is honestly a very basic beef. I don't need a lot of seasoning. I'll probably do some salt and pepper, but I don't want a lot of toppings. I don't want a fancy bun. I do love gourmet burgers here and there, but mm-hmm. it's really basic. As long as you can get a nice char on a really good burger with a decent amount of fat, nicely congealed together, mm-hmm. it's an amazing thing. You also um, say salt is so important. Can we talk about what salt does to beef? Salt serves so many purposes to all types of food, not just beef. So we can cook with it. And I usually use a coarse kosher salt. I always have to stay slow because five times fast. So right. It's, like, it's hard. <laughs> so um, when, so instead salt, of too. like a salt, uh, sea salt or something, there's so many salts now on the market. You're, it's overwhelming. 
so many salts. So I, my go-to is generally a coarse kosher salt. The reasoning is that I'm very familiar with the saltiness in and volume, mm-hmm. which even between coarse koshers can be very different. A diamond crystal and a Morton's have different size grains, which ends up being different volumes and different recipes. I do use in baking, I usually use a fine sea salt, but okay. with beef, I usually stick with a coarse kosher and I'm a diamond crystal gal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a ton of finishing salts. So not only do I cook with salt, I finish nearly everything with salt. In fact, I carry salt in my purse because even when I'm out at restaurants, it's very rarely seasoned the way I want it to with the correct salt. But um, I've been using a black salt from Haleakala in Hawaii recently and also a pink Australian that I'm really in love with. But it, it So it tenderizes the beef. It helps break down all the fibers, but it also adds flavor. And the flavor comes while cooking. It can also draw out some of the liquids, helps with that browning process. Right. It helps sear it. And flavor. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're big fans of Icelandic, well. Icelandic black salt. We're big fans yep. of. So good. I know you have a question. Well, only because the, you know, we've been talking about burgers and cuts of beef and all that. And, and I don't want people to come away with the impression that there isn't, there's a whole rainbow of recipes in here dishes for, you know, you've got peanut beef pad thai, you've got uh, sweet and spicy Mongolian beef. There are other cuisines than, you know, your basic American, let's go outside and grill kind of um, uh, uh, recipes in here. Did you develop all these recipes? Where do they come from? And did your family sit down with you and try all of them? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, all of these are, are developed from me. I have a website, savoryexperiments.com. I have over 1,700 recipes there. Recipe development is is kind of my jam. Mm-hmm. And we spent a good five or six months doing nothing but eating beef, which probably, you know, everything in moderation. Yes, of course. Not, moderation. not in my world. But, but... Uh, no, but we, I wanted it to be approachable and relatable. Not everybody's going out and buying a prime New York strip steak. I Mm -hmm. want a family of four to be able to affordably go to the store, buy a top sirloin, and create an entire meal out of it on a budget. I love that. And that was really the goal. But we also took a lot of these comfort classics and made them a little bit more modern by adding in a lot of color, a lot of vegetables elevated some of the flavor palettes. So for mm-hmm. instance, um, actually later today, I'm making a Salisbury steak, but I used caramelized onions and oyster mushrooms. And we just kind of bring it up a bit in, in the gravy factor, like beyond your regular cafeteria style Salisbury Jessica, steak. Jessica, I'm going to have to wrap you up. I'm so sorry. We could go Let's deep. make sure we know I, how to I, find this book. I got it. So <laughs> beef it up. Jessica, tell us where we can find you online, on Instagram, so people can get in touch with you, ask you questions, and of course, buy your book. SavorExperiments.com is basically where I live, and you can find all my social medias there. And mm-hmm. Beep It Up is available wherever books are sold. Independent sellers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Excellent. I'm going to call you. you for a good burger and some psychotherapy. All right. Thanks Definitely. so much for joining <laughs> us today. This is David and Nikki Nellis. When we come back, we got bubbles in our future. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And uh, as you know, I am an Italophile from mm-hmm. the word go. And uh, I'm delighted to welcome Gianluca Bisol to the show. He is the president of Bisol 1542 Prosecco Superiore. Um, he's, he's, he's a visionary wine grower. He's a restaurateur uh, in Venice, off of, the, off of Venice. And he's from the Veneto region. I guess 21 generations. 
Thank you. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. Ah, it's a pleasure. I wish okay. I was related to you. <laughs> tell us, just tell us a little bit about the family's background and about your, you know, your, really, your vineyards. Yes, mm-hmm. yes my family is a family of vine growers in Val d'Obiavene. That is a, a small village uh, about one hour north of Venice, the most beautiful city in the world, more romantic city in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are in a wonderful place of hills, at 300 meters of altitude, and uh, is the place in which the viticulture born more than uh, 2,000 years ago. So it's a long story uh, around the wine, and uh, the most successful vine in this area is the, the glera, that is the grape that we use for producing Prosecco. We need to use a glera, that is the, 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 the unique taste, flavor, grape that created this wonderful uh, sparkling wine. Well, why don't we, since the word superiore, superior, is in the, you know, the, the name of your, your, your Prosecco, what makes, what separates you uh, basically from everybody else, your product? But first of all, I would like to, to introduce the, the three categories of uh, Prosecco that exist. Mm-hmm. There is the, the, the basic Prosecco that is made in two regions in northeast of Italy, so is the Veneto region and the Friuli region. So mm-hmm. two regions in which is producing in the flat area the basic Prosecco. And there is uh, the Prosecco Superiore that is made only in the historical areas of Valdobbiadene, Conegliano, and Asolo, so only in the hills. Mm-hmm. So Prosecco Superiore is something really unique, is something that is uh, different because it's only in the hills and uh, everything is doing in the, in the vineyard by hand. Not mm. with machine because the vineyards are really, really steep. It is like like walls uh, in the hills, and so the the quality of this grape is incredible. Mm-hmm. And the same grape, as you know, the grape is very sensible mm. to the change of the soil, becomes something of really, really extraordinary. And the third category of uh, prosecco is uh, the best one that is only in one hill in all the area. And is the cartizze. Have you heard about it? Sure. No, I haven't. Tell I me. have because I read. Okay, well, <laughs> tell us about it, please. Well, so cartizze is very rare because it's only one bottle every 750 bottle of Prosecco. Okay. So it's a really, really something that you have to try uh, sometime in, in, in the year because it's, it's unique. Well, tell me, tell us, you know, the, the, usually we, not usually, we often have folks on, they talk about terroir, terroir, but we're really talking about la terra, the earth, the soil. What makes it so special? What, what, what are the, the elements that, that produces my great family, grape? My, my family is a, a, a really original expression in this area because we are one of the few families that own the vineyard. You know mm-hmm. that a 95% of the winery that you can buy the bottle in the market don't own the vineyard. They buy the wine, they buy the, the grapes, the grape mm-hmm. and transform. We own the vineyard. We are one of the few families. And so my my family, thanks to the long tradition, 21 generation, 480 years, we have 21 plots in different uh, parts of the hills of Valdobbiadene. And so in only the best places. And thanks to my grandfather, Jayo, uh, that decided 70 years ago to separate the different Prosecco Superiore from the five different kinds of soil that we have in our hills. Now we, have, we are the only one winery that have a collection 
of uh, single soils Prosecco, five different Prosecco Superiore. Mm, that's amazing. And, you know, Italy, everything is DOCG. So does that apply to everything that you're doing as well? Everything is so regulated in Italy when it comes to wine. Exactly. Right. Exactly. We are, we are in the Prosecco Superiore, we are DOCG. That means that is denomination controlled, but also guaranteed with the number in the, in the labels. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the difference from the Prosecco uh, DOC, that is not uh, Prosecco uh, DOCG, but is only Prosecco DOC. Well, so we have three Proseccos here in studio today. Can you tell us about what we would be looking for as far as differences in, in taste or texture or talk about the bubbles a little bit? Because, you know, for a long time, you know, Prosecco is now very well known in the United States. But I do feel, and you could disagree with me, that there were Proseccos maybe more mass-produced to um, to for an American palate. So they were a little... Very sugary. A little sweeter. Ugh. So what is it about these Proseccos? How do you... What is it about the dryness in them? And what are the differences between the three as far as texture and yeah, flavor? The Prosecco Superiore can be extra brut, brut, mm-hmm. extra dry or dry. That means that come from very, very, very brute version or a little bit sweet. Mm-hmm. But uh, we we are successful in the brute category. The people like to drink my Prosecco brute, Prosecco Superiore Brute, before a, a dinner or before a lunch. But many people also love to drink Prosecco Superiore Brute all the lunch or all the dinner. If it's fish, for example, raw fish, oysters and, and uh, shrimps, everything. Particularly the cartizze, for example, is mm-hmm. wonderful with the Japanese cuisine. Is oh. you, you have to try. Is an incredible matching with the the flavors of the Japanese cuisine mm. and the and the cartizze that is very rich in in uh, fruit and flower flavors. Now, well, talk to, well, talk to us about the jayo too, because I know that's a an old jayo. Sorry, the jayo that. Io parlo italiano, anche, ma Geo, okay. Ma, but this is an homage to your grandfather, correct? Yes, this is the nickname of my grandfather. Geo was a very smart uh, man that uh, rebuilt the winery after the Second World War. So he decided uh, to separate the different kind of soil in the vineyard to produce five different Prosecco Superiore, Bisol. And uh, when it was 100 years from his born, I decided to, to create a special Prosecco Superiore for celebrate uh, this great man. And uh, as I know that he preferred uh, in the five soils that he selected in, the, in our vineyard, he, he preferred three soils, the clay soil, the sand soil, and the morenic soil. Mm-hmm. I decided to create a cube of Prosecco Superiore with the three vineyard, with, with the three kinds of soil. So the, the Jayo is uh, like the celebration of this uh, great man in, the, in our family. That's great. That is great. And let's talk about, so I love the idea of seafood, but it's also, I mean, I know it's hot here, but it's also very warm in Italy right now. And I think of Prosecco as like the perfect way to cool off when you're dealing with heat, exactly. right? Exactly. Um, now, now in Venice, in Venice is. Uh, 38 uh, Celsius degrees, so it's very hot, and many, many people is opening a bottle of Prosecco because it is a wonderful refreshing in this cold, hot temperature. Exactly, exactly. Now, you also have, um, so these are the three expressions. Do you have other um, products as well that we should be knowing about? 
Yes, we, we have uh, a collection of the five uh, Prosecco Superiore Bisol, brand Bisol 1542, you can see in the label. Mm -hmm. This is uh, the, the, the brand that uh, uh, defines the five different uh, soils. So we have uh, the Crede, that is a uh, brood. We have uh, the Molera, that is an extra dry. We have the Rive di Campè, that is an extra brood. We have the Cartizze, that is uh, a, a dry, but uh, with a good acidity. And mm -hmm. uh, we have the River de Campea that is uh, also dry with this incredible acidity that cleans perfectly the sweetness of the price. So different expression from the same, the same terroir, but with this kind, these five kind of soil, the terroir have the five different expression. And this is so interesting to see how very sensible is the kind, this kind of grape and change a lot from a soil to another soil. In a soil, for example, is more rich the fruity flavors. In another soil, is more rich the flower flavor. Or in the morenic soil, the, the minerality come out from the wine. So it's, it's very, very nice to see how the, the vine has. Well, now I'm, I'm questioning our travel plans now because we're about to leave for two weeks in Sardinia, but uh, maybe we should have come, come to Venezia. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you have to because you can also come in my restaurant. I, you know, you know that I have a Star Michelin restaurant and Venice, in right. and in Venice with another vineyard that is not Prosecco in this case is, uh -huh. is uh, an autochthon grape of Venice. In, in this island I own 18 rooms and two restaurants. One is a Star Michelin restaurant. This vineyard and the ve big vegetable garden is a oh place in which... Uh, All right, well tell us the name of your restaurant. Yeah. What's the name <laughs> of the restaurant? Yeah, we're going to write it down. We'll Venice, be there next. Uh, Venisa. Venisa, V-E-N-I-S-S-A. -S -S. Excellent. Okay, and uh, Gianluca, tell us where we can find more information about your gorgeous Proseccos, please. Yes, please see in the in, in website uh, www.bisol.it or in uh, follow us in, uh, in Instagram, mm -hmm. Bisol Prosecco, or in Instagram, Gianluca Bisol. Okay. And if you want to see something about uh, the restaurant in Venice, uh, in Instagram, uh, um, Denisa Tenuta, Tenuta. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can also see where we are and what we are doing. Oh. We can't wait. We'll totally do that. All Thank right. you so much for zooming in from Italy today. It's a reason for another trip. Uh, <laughs> we'll take it. We wait you. We wait okay. you. And, uh, my, my region is a wonderful region. We have the Dolomite, mm -hmm. so we have the, the, the sea. We have the oldest cities like Venice. We have the wonderful wines. Ci sono stato tante volte. <laughs> I've been there many, I love, you know what? I love Titian, so I, I, I've been there many times. It was great. But we will come see you. We will be there. Thank you so much. I wait for you. Bye. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Bye. Let's go from Prosecco to tequila. Hey, Dave, how are you? How are you today, Dave? I'm good, guys. How are you? We're Excellent. Good. We're good. So, so let's get your background first, yeah, Dave, I mean, Chef Dave. Let's hear about Top Chef and all of that. But before, yeah, I mean, my background is unique in the chef world. I actually, I was in restaurants and such through high school and college, but ended up in tech. Had my own recruiting company, made a ton of money, lost it all, then went back to school in two thousand. <laughs> Port on Blue, landed on Top Chef. Got moved to New York. Did thirteen years there. Now I'm back in San Diego. Mm. Uh, done chopped and a bunch of Food Network stuff and a lot of consulting uh, pre-COVID um, and then now just a lot more private stuff and, you know, navigating uh, the change in uh, 
climate, but yeah. So there's boom. There's the right, you, quick version. You, that you, is a quick that version. Is, all right. Hey, one, listen. You know what? We're gonna take a quick break, oh. and then we'll come back, and we'll dig into all the things you're doing now. Okay. Sounds great. All right. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It is National Tequila Day. I mean, we're recording the show on Saturday and it's airing on Sunday, the 24th. And the 24th is National Tequila Day. We'll talk more about it. When Give we get me back. a shot. Okay. Hey, everybody. This is David and Nikki Nellis. We're back on Foodie and the Beast talking to Chef Dave Martin, who's written the Tequila Diet Cookbook. And Dave, I've got there's one thing that popped out of the information that I have to ask. Yes. It says this easy-to-follow book is a collection of recipes influenced by Dave's adolescent years growing up in Southern California, blah, blah, blah. So you were growing up in Southern California drinking tequila. Doesn't everybody do that in Southern California? <laughs> no. I mean, well, pretty much, yeah. You know, you have to to get through. Did it stunt, well, your, did it stunt your growth? That's the question. Is it? Oh, yes. I am short. Yes, it did do that. So where did all this come from? Where did the love of tequila as a chef? As a chef, yeah, you know, I mean, I pretty much drink wine and tequila. That's really kind of all I do. I don't really do a lot of other spirits. And um, I just, you know, I like simplicity and flavor. I'm, in terms of tequilas, it's pretty much Reposado on the rocks with a piece of orange. That's how I drink it. I don't, you know, I mean, I'm not 25, so I don't like sugary drinks or any of that kind of stuff. And I pretty much uh, steer toward international when we're talking about wine versus domestic due to sugars and sulfites and all of that good stuff. So, Mm -hmm. I just have always enjoyed the flavor profile. There's just something there in the simplicity of a reposado with ice and orange that I just, I, I, I love it. It's, it's but just can we talk really a little, but there's me. been a yeah, massive yeah. change in the tequila market, especially here in the States. Um, Huge. You know, I mean, especially in the last 20 years. I mean, we were just at a um, this restaurant slash um, liquor store, believe it or not. It was a restaurant in a liquor store. And okay. uh, their uh, mezcal and tequila options, uh, they had to have over 110 varieties and, and good ones, expensive ones. And I think there's been yes. a real change of, you know, doing not that there's anything wrong with it, but, you know, a shot of tequila with lime and salt to like pouring it in a snifter and enjoying it over ice and like really recognizing that it has a lot of complexities. Yes, totally. And, you know, the whole thing with the lime and the salt, that was by Cuervo years ago. And that was a marketing thing because their product was so bad. <laughs> I mean, I remember in college doing that. So the reason they developed that was so that people could choke down the bad stuff. So <laughs> there's been a huge evolution um, in the tequila, mezcal, rencia. You know, there's all these things that are out there that are agave based. And yeah, you know, there is a craft that maybe wasn't there before. They were pumping out, you know, quote unquote tequila. And so there's, it's, it's been a revolution and an evolution and there is some great product out there that, you know, if you're a Scotch guy, you've got your añejos, extra añejos, you know, they kind of hit that profile. Mm -hmm. If you like a little cleaner, like a vodka, that's where your silvers come in, um, you know, in the good ones, the good ones don't have the bite that the inexpensive ones do. And, and listen, there's a lot of old school brands like Cuts Doris, uh, Corleho that you're not paying for their marketing plan and they're actually really good tequilas well i mean i think you can say that you know when it comes to marketing you know the bigger names have the bigger budgets but they don't necessarily have the better juice you know what i mean correct so totally, totally how did you so how did you parlay all this your passion uh to a cookbook well actually randomly we're coming off of italy but i had been in italy for like 12 14 days and i just was chowing it was like one of my first times there i ate a ton drank a lot of wine 
uh, put on some weight. So I came back and I was like, I got to lose the weight. So I did my normal routine, but then just kept only tequila and I lost 12 pounds. So I started just telling everyone I'm on the tequila diet. So <laughs> it started, it started as a skit. And then I ended up doing a charity dinner for the brand that I did the book with Bastone Del Rey. I pitched it to the owner of the uh, tequila and he was like, Oh my God, this is such a great idea. It's like, let's do it. So mm -hmm. it kind of, it started as a story and then it's now a reality. So kind of fun. Background. So, and so how did you incorporate the dishes that you made and sort of tequila into all of it? How did you put this book together? Yeah. So, you know, the formulation became obviously I have a huge love for Mexico with the cuisine and everything about mm -hmm. it. And so part of what I did with that is when it came to the food, you know, again, I'm French trained. So um, what I did was use tequila like I would, you know, like sherry in France or Marsala in Italy. So mm -hmm. in the braised meat dishes and such, just use more of deglazing, but like you're even going to see a little bit of the silver in the ceviche. So, you know, it's, it's where it makes sense. It's in about 95% of the recipes and it's where, you know, it gives a little accent or a little bit of flavor. Um, and again, working like they do in other countries with fortified wines. I just use the tequila, which is more indigenous to the region and the cuisine itself. Well, I think that's really interesting because, again, I talked about fear earlier that people have when it comes to cooking, which is why cookbooks yes. are so necessary and important. And people have a real fear, I think, especially of putting alcohol in dishes because they're, yes. I don't know what they think is going to happen, but they have fear. So how do you sort of help with that? Grandma's drunk again. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's what I tell a lot of people because I have friends that, you know, don't necessarily imbibe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're talking about the braised dishes and the deglazing, you know, which is cooking off the alcohol, there is really no residual alcohol at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. The ceviche itself, there is a little bit in there, you know, so if it's someone that right, was It's not going to do much. No, the right. ceviche sounds great, yeah. by the way. Yeah, it just, it has this soft note, but you know, it's not, I'm not soaking it in the booze. So, mm -hmm. um, but I know what you're talking about. Cause people was like, oh, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I don't buy or I don't like sherry or whatever. I'm like, here's the deal. Like chances are you're not going to taste it and it's mm -hmm. definitely not going to impact you. Like I'm going to taste it. I was just talking to someone about lobster biscuit and it was like, I can tell when there's no sherry and brandy in it. Cause I mean, I've got a great palate, but right. the regular user may not notice those subtle nuances. Mm. So yeah. Well, listen, Dave, we really appreciate you joining us today. And I mean, I did not book you knowing tomorrow was or today is um, yeah. National Tequila Day. So all good things sort of came together at the right time. Tell everybody, please, where we can find you uh, and the book, obviously, on Instagram and online. Yeah, on all platforms, I'm at Chef Dave Martin. Uh, the book has its own uh, landing page as well at mytequiladietclub.com, mm -hmm. which loads you to everywhere to get it, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all platforms. You can get the ebook for as low as $9.99, which is a steal. And the paperback is on all platforms. You can even get that signed directly from me. But if you go to mytequiladiet.com or chefdavemartin.com or, again, like all platforms, I'm great. available and you can track everything down there. All right, Dave, great. thanks. This is a thanks. great idea, Dave. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us today. All right, so I, we just got back from two exceptionally fun days in New York. Um, mm -hmm. We went to the theater twice. We had good food. I'd like you to... Can I run through it? Because I can do it, it really I just, well. I was just so you can follow me you. on Instagram at, at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, and you can see not only a photo from the trip where we ate at Salmanov's, 
uh, Laser Wolf in Brooklyn, which was fabulous. Uh, but you can go through my highlights and see. We saw two amazing shows. We saw POTUS with uh, Rachel Dretch and Vanessa Williams. So fun. If you can, you should see it. Funny. We saw Alex Edelman, which David didn't love, but I did. I thought it was amazing. We stopped at Mineta Tavern and had Nishinashi's there. We did Laser Wolf. And then we went to Via Corota and had a kick tushy uh, oh, meal, uh, all the meal. amazing salads. Everything you hear about the salads are spot on and the pastas are terrific. So in 36 hours, we did two shows, three incredible meals, and we did well over 15,000 steps. And the partridge in a pear tree. Yes, it was a so it's great. Fun. Okay, All right, so rant. I just want to wrap up real quickly. The news keeps reporting that people everywhere are getting, they're just getting sort of exhausted by the, the news about the war in Ukraine. That is going to go on a long time. And it is essential that the Russians be pushed back and pushed out of Ukraine. If they're allowed to take that country, bad things are going to happen, folks. And so um, that leads me to, again, hope that you will open your wallets. I don't care if it's for a buck, 50 cents, 100 bucks, whatever, to help Ukrainian refugees uh, wherever you can. Um, they're starting to flood into the U.S. And uh, if you can host them, that's good, too. Um, we're looking into that ourselves. So mm -hmm. just don't forget these people and don't get tired of, of helping them because it's essential. All right. Well, we want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. Uh, lots of incredible content and information. Of course, you can find it all on the list, areyouonit.com. Uh, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all the goods and more. Uh, and lastly, tune in to Industry Night. There's always something good going on there. You can find that on the list, areyouonit.com as well. And before we say goodbye, uh, tomorrow is the Rammies. You heard all about it last week from Kathy Hollinger. Everybody in the D.C. metro uh, food, wine, and hospitality industry comes out, gets dressed up, put your tuxes on. Did you know that I'll be there? I know I know you're there. presenting. I am presenting, so it's lots of fun. If you come and hang out, please stop by and say hi and be safe. Don't forget, you need to do a COVID test. They're going to look for it, so you need to bring a photo with the date on it with you. Do not forget. Uh, listen, everybody, it is a little rampant covid -y out there. That's why some guests aren't here today. Wear a mask if you feel it's right, which it is. And uh, if you haven't been boosted, please go do that. Uh, and just remember, everybody's doing the best they can. It's hot out. There's staff shortages. Just be kind to people out there. Have a delicious week.